Hello and welcome to episode three of the Doctor Who podcast. I'm afraid you've just got me this week. Trev and Tom are in a bar somewhere having a few drinkies, leaving all of the recording and responsibility to me. Ha! So I can go completely mad in what I record. Fortunately, for you, that is, listeners, I won't be going that mad because most of this is going to be a pre-record. And a couple of weeks ago, I had the very great honour of meeting and talking and interviewing Annika Wills. And Annika is a fascinating individual. She's got a very long history with Doctor Who. She started off as a companion, as I'm sure most of you already know, with William Hartnell. And then she witnessed the first regeneration in the best way possible, in as much as she was a member of the cast and watched it. Now, Annika's had a fascinating life as well, and she's spent the last couple of years, well, since 2007, writing two autobiographies, which are fascinating books in their own right. The first book is called Self-Portrait, and the second book is called Naked. So I would strongly suggest that you go take a look at these books. You can pick them up from all of the usual online sources and be prepared for, quite frankly, an amazing read. Anyway, here's my interview with Annika. I now have the very great honour of being joined by Annika Wills. Hello, Annika, and Hello. welcome welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. You're very welcome, and here we are sitting in Roger Laurie Pack's kitchen. Well, I, I still can't quite get over that either. It's all kind of surreal. I'll wake up soon, I'm sure. You've just been to a book signing today uh, in Lakeside. Lakeside, yes. Mm, yes. How, how did that go? It went very well. I mean, for us, in a way, because it was Waterstones, and we kind of chuckling because we think, well, but Waterstones, but that's the real world. It's not like our, our friendly magic Doctor Who world. So, um, yeah, we had we had people who were coming by looking at Colin and looking at me and being a bit bemused and then whipping out their iPods, their phones, whatever, checking it out. Oh, it's them. Oh, right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so that was quite funny. It must be quite surreal, I guess. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. I know. It's, um, it's fascinating, obviously, attending those signings as a fan because it's one of the very few chances we get to meet quite frankly, our yes. heroes and stars of TV. So it's yes. quite interesting to actually meet you in the flesh rather than see you on yes. a small little television yeah. screen. Let's talk about your acting career. So we, 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 we're going back um, to the 1950s and your first role was in a film called Child's Play Child's when Play. you were about 11 years old. Yes, actually I was nine when I did that because it came out when I was 10. So it was 50, it came out in 57, so I made it in 56, so I was nine. Right. So nine years old. <laughs> I've just actually been up on Roger's computer and looking at some pictures from that because um, my father was played by Ballard Barclay. Right. Who okay. played the major in 40 Towers. Uh-huh. So everybody chuckles away at that. <laughs> and um, for me, what's, what's interesting to look at those images is you look at those and then you go dot, dot, dot forward and you look at me doing the Avengers or the same. It's the same little person. They just got bigger. Same, same expressions. <laughs> What's, how did you actually win that role? How did you win your first um, role? Well, uh, is it, it's funny, isn't it? Who, you know, who, who is it who comes along? I think it was my mother mainly kind of um, influenced me to become an actor. But from very early on in my little village school, I wrote a play, I directed it, and I starred in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I got notices in the local paper. <laughs> and um, then I went and... Because um, the... the, the the director was a friend of my uncle's. So then I was sent for the audition, but I didn't know what an audition was. So they said, have you got an audition piece? 
And I said, no, but I've just learnt the Queen's speech. Because, um, you know, it was 53. Mm. We'd, we'd just done um, the, the, the coronation. So all children in England had learnt the Queen's coronation speech. So then, cheeky little thing, I said to the director, so, but turn your back then, or close your eyes, okay. And then, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be... Lo- I still remember it. <laughs> anyway, I got the part. Wonderful. And then um, all the lovely uh, young actors that I worked with, Christopher Beanie, mm. who was just completely talented, all went to uh, stage school. And from then on in, I had a mission. I said, OK, I want to go to stage school. So I got a... I got... Uh, my mother went into BAT and I got a scholarship and I mm. got into the... Arts Educational School. So within a year or so, I was I, I was fulfilling my dream. I was already at the stage school. Oh, it's, it's terrific, I think, when a youngster knows what business and what line of work they want yeah. to go into at a very young age yeah. and then manages to achieve it with such yeah. success. And it happens. That's yes. amazing. So, But it was also kind of all magic the way it happened, <laughs> which is why you have to read my books, because <laughs> I tell the magic story of the, of the characters who came into my life to help me. So there was this one woman, uh, the way that it happened, I could get in, I could get a scholarship, but I couldn't go until September, and then the scholarship didn't come in. Mm. So this wonderful woman said, I will pay, a sort of fairy godmother, I will pay your first term's fees. And her name was Lady Jane Vane Tempest Stewart. <laughs> right, and okay. she was my fairy godmother. Yes. And so then, and I stayed in her house at one point in Park Lane, and, you know, I was being bought, my breakfast in bed by the butler. I mean, you know, just extraordinary. <laughs> Sounds like a, a completely different life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Is it something that you ever had any doubts about? I mean, when, when you told, you know, your, your, your parents, I want to go into acting at such a young age, I've made up my mind, it's in yes. my blood. Yeah. Were you always, always encouraged? Was there ever a note of caution to say, no. none at all? No, no. So then it just happened. I think you see that happens anyway in life. If you're, if you're really focused on your, as it were, goal or what it is you want, it will happen. It, mm. it has to happen. It's a sort of magic thing. It's it's interesting because, I mean, one of the great things about doing this podcast is that we get to speak to quite a lot of actors. And I ask that question quite a lot. And I think that's probably the first time that anyone has said, I never had a doubt. I was never given any kind of warning. Most of the time people say, you go ahead, you try and do what you want. Um, We'll be there to pick you up when it all goes wrong. wrong. And then you can get a proper job. job. (laughs) So uh, so it's great to hear that, you know, it was always your dream and it worked out so, so wonderfully. You also won the part of Roberta in the TV version of, um, I think, the second version it was. That's right. Of the Railway Children. Of the Railway Children. Um, And so it was an eight-week... And at that time, that was 1957. All right, because, no, Charles Play was 53 and uh, Railway Children was 57. And at that time, children's series, television series, were incredibly good. They Mm. were absolutely tip-top. And in fact, after we'd done the Railway Children, which was a massive success, the big bods in the BBC said to the the different producers of the... Oi! Listen, you're getting too good for, and you're getting too big for your boots. You know, you've got to stop <laughs> yes. this because the balance was happening. We were getting better mm. than the dramas mm. that were happening 
for the for the grown up telly. So that was good, wasn't it? That was us. Wonderful. That so, was us. what was it like playing such a, a famous and well established role? Roberta is a lovely part, mm. and I I took it on board, and I just loved it. And I loved being working with the train. We worked with the train, and we had um, Norman Shelley was our was our little old gentleman, and we and Jean beautiful Jean Anson was our mother. She was so lovely. So we had a wonderful cast, oh. and it was a very very happy production. Mm. Yeah. Then there was because um, because railway children, I was still at school. Right. And but I was doing all the television I could, so I hardly did any schooling at all, which is still impacts on my life because I can't <laughs> do adding up and stuff. But um, so then I go to Rada and uh, and I work there, but I get got kicked out and go straight back to work because you know I'd already been working a lot, and after Rada. I started getting cameo parts in mm. all the series. So it was probation officer, it was and then Avengers, and then The Saint, mm. and then No Hiding Place. And then I started doing plays of the week, which were big dramas. And so now I'm getting, as I hate the word, but starring roles, nevertheless. They were the big mm. roles in big, serious, grown-up plays of the week, which was the best drama that the BBC were doing at the time. Mm. Um, so then this was very good and I was yeah. on my way. And then, in the middle of all that, I get the part in Tom to do. <laughs> so, um, so I was totally chuffed. And chuffed because my husband, Michael Goff, at the time had just finished playing the Celestial Toolmaker. Mm, yeah. So um, we'd seen him in that. So chuffed to be in Doctor Who, but mainly chuffed because it's regular work. And as an actor, you know, if you get a part in the series, you're so relieved because yeah. you're in work. So yeah. bottom line, apart from all the sort of, mm. you know, wonderful thing of, yeah, Doctor Who, this is going... <laughs> At the same time, goody, uh, you know, there's a regular check coming in. Good. Okay. <laughs> character of Polly was a deliberate move away from the established female companion because she was a she was a child of the 60s yes. um, there was no automatic screaming although I think the character perhaps did sometimes lend itself towards you know the the stereotypical companion yes. uh, a little bit later on in a couple of episodes but to start yes. with I think in particular the war machines your first story um, this is a very new kind of character that we hadn't seen in Doctor Who before yes. was that something that attracted you to the role were you really very pleased that that was the direction this character was going to take I have to admit something here because actually what I would do is I would get the role and then I would try and make it as much like me as possible. Ah, right. <laughs> it makes life easier. And um, besides which, rather pig-headedly, I thought I'd probably be the best anyway. So you know, <laughs> what I could bring to it would be me and that would be mm. good. Um, but also I know that I did consciously think, look, we had Honor Blackman being the, you know, the sassy lady in the Avengers wearing black and throwing people over her shoulders and things. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be like that. If I'm, if I'm going to meet some hideous monster, I'm going to get wobbly knees and I'm going to shriek, you know, because this, is, this would be the reality. You're not going to be brave at this mm, point. Yeah. Although, actually, of course, it, it was written that, that Polly was sussed, you know. She was, she was a secretary to a scientist, yes, so science. she was intelligent. Yes. And as you said, what, what was lovely was, because it was 1966, they decided, right, we'll have a 60s chick. Yeah. And I was, I came, you know, ready-made. <laughs> <laughs> You've worked with, well, during your year, just over a year on Doctor Who, and you had a number of different companions, Michael Craze, you worked with Fraser Hines. Fraser Hines yeah. came on. Um, well, mostly, you see, 
um, that my tenure in the show was with Michael Craze. Mm. He was my he was my buddy and he was my companion. They, we weren't called companions in those days. <laughs> uh, what were we yeah. called? We were called assistants. Assistants, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, so the first few stories were with Bill Hartnell, and that was hard work because he wasn't well. Mm. He was very grumpy. He kept forgetting his lines. So rehearsals were not the most relaxed. And so it felt like work a bit, yeah. you know. Um, and so, so Michael Craze and I supported each other. So that was very nice to have a buddy of my age and my mm. understanding supporting me, working with this old geezer, you know. Um, and then, almost immediately, um, we're now going to have a new doctor. And then, you know, then the whole business. Are we going to have a Bill Hartnell look-alike or are we simply going to say, OK, they say... No, we're simply going to have a completely different actor. Whoa, whoa, are we going to be in work next week? That's, you know, again, bottom line, we're hoping that we're still going to be in work. We're not sure whether this is going to... Whether the British public are going to be able to say, OK, sure, you know, he's he's not just a, looks like Bill Hartnell, he's going to be totally and utterly different. He's going to... He, we didn't even have the, the name, the word, regenerate. No, of course. You see? So, um, but... The magic thing happens because the doors open and Patrick Trapp walks into the rehearsal room on a mm. Monday morning and, the, and everybody in the rehearsal room is cheering and jumping up and down and knowing that we're in where we're going to be in for it here because he 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 was already such an established good actor mm. and a lovely character you know and if it hadn't been for him we wouldn't be sitting here no. today doing this podcast because he got it right he got it absolutely right and so for us for michael craze and me it was very exciting actually to be with pat Troughton while he molded himself into his characterization mm. Mm. of the doctor and and at one point again in my book i love to write the moment when um because he wanted he he loved the 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 uh, marx brothers and he wanted in some way to bring harpo in and um so and he thought it might be jolly to have a sort of red cur <laughs> blonde curly harpo wiggy and we all said no no that's <laughs> impossible that's hopeless and and we got to a sort of moment where we were all stuck and I just turned to somebody who had a comb in one of their top pockets and said, look, you know, why don't you just comb it like this, you know, and into the Beatles thingy. And everybody said, yeah, that looks good. So... I wrote, so that was your in idea? In that moment. Oh, know, wow. OK. Uh, <laughs> it went from there. You, you mentioned earlier on about the, the success of the change of lead actor and how you're all concerned as to whether or not it was going to, you know, be a success or yes. whether this could fail, because, of course, yes. this is... A situation that many fans today just simply can't contemplate. They look forward to the regenerations, yes. you know, they actually look forward to mourning the passing of their doctor. Yes. But it must have been very interesting, certainly, you know, in the public consciousness at the time. Did they know that the character was going to have this massive change? No. So what was the reaction like when you met fans at the time? Did they say to you what on earth happened there? Well, or? you see, the what? funny thing is that we didn't meet the fans. We, we weren't mm. in touch with the fans at that time. We went to work, we did our thing. Um, in between times, we were in the BBC bar or we <laughs> right. were in the, in the studio and then we were back to work Monday morning. Mm. So I actually never met the fans. But on the other hand, of course, the newspapers were full of it. Mm. And, um, and immediately, immediately... 
they took him to heart and said, Wonderful. okay, we've got a new doctor. Mm. And I think in a way, everybody was a bit relieved, really. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Funny thing is, you're probably meeting those fans now. Yes, yes. <laughs> the conventions yes, and, yes, and, and, and yes. so on. Yes, now I meet all the fans. We, we, you know, now we know everything that's going on. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Michael Crazy's character, mm. this, is, this is my understanding of what happened. Um, was becoming rather dark and slightly heavy. He was he was a very good actor, and actually, in a way, uh, it was time for him to leave and get on to some sort of meteor stuff. And that was beginning to sort of come out in the stories. So um, what I think they thought was, might be an idea to have a sort of more children-friendly um, male companion, um, you know, and put him in a wee kilty and let him have a little Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. And, and that might be more, you know. And then what we could do is phase Ben out and then um, Jamie and Polly could continue. And because what I remember very clearly is that they came, that Mike had got the boot and then they came and said, OK, listen, Mike's going to get the boot now for this next lot of series and we're going to go on with you and, and what do you think about that? And I then said... Well, I think it's probably a good time for me to go too because Mm. um, I was afraid that if I went on for another year, I'd be so used to my lovely 68 pounds, I think it was, Uh a week, you know, that I'd be hooked. And then I'd be like in, well, we didn't have Coronation Street, but, you know, but then that I wouldn't be able to get off it. Mm. It would be like Mm. an addiction. Um, And not only that, that I would be typecast, which is what happened in those days. Yeah. You did, if you were yeah. in a long on, ongoing series, you didn't get work after. And that part of me that really wanted to go and play Lady Macbeth, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, <laughs> the Royal Shakespeare were just waiting for me. I was just busy doing Doctor Who, you know, mm. but otherwise they were waiting to have me, is what I thought. So um, I thought I'd better get out too. Mm. And also slightly to support Mike Craze, because I didn't think it was right they gave him the boot, because he no. was brilliant. But anyway, so, um, so, so we had our farewell in The Faceless mm. Ones, and we were all terribly sad, especially Pat, because we'd got on so well. Yeah. And we were all such good friends. Well, f- for me, I mean, you didn't get to see such a, t- a crowded TARDIS again until Peter Davison's era, where you had the yeah. three three companions. And the stories with yourself and Michael Craze and Fraser Hines, for me, some of them, they're great because because there's only a few of them. And, of course, you know, there's not that many that you can actually watch on television anymore. You have yeah. to listen to the audio. Yeah. It's just great because you can relive those stories in your mind almost, you know, with modern-day production values. Yes. Because <laughs> your imagination is so strong. This is why I love doing the audios because <laughs> I've been doing Polly again and um, it's so lovely to slip back into the character. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. an extension of me, you know. So it's like my own stories are coming back. Yeah! Yeah. Only, only now she's grown up and she can, you know, she's in charge of the spaceship. Yes, <laughs> get out of here. I know how to do this thing, you know. Well, this is something that was on my list to talk to you about. Very, very, um, yes. well, I've been quite looking forward to talking to you about it. It's the Big Finish yes. Productions. Yes. It's something that I really, really adore. And certainly over the last few years, they've been looking at ways to try and recreate the earlier area of the TV series. And obviously yeah. you've got some rather major problems in doing that. And um, they've invented the Companion Chronicle line. Yes. And for me, it's been great to hear the early companions come back with such rounded and careful character development. Yes. And uh, how did you feel when you got the call from Gary Russell or Nick Briggs, um, whoever phoned you up and said, how do you feel about playing Polly again? Well, um, I mean, I'd, I'd done a few more before that. So, you know, I'd played a lovely lizard woman in Empire of the Sun. And so, so it was just lovely to be given work again mm. after all these years because I went off and did all sorts of other things mm. instead. 
Um, so then I'm back and then I'm being given a script and some headphones on and I'm acting again. So that was heavenly. Mm. And then when they said, OK, we're going to do a, a, a poly story, I was thrilled to bits. Mm. Um, but it needed work. And um, that was resistance. And uh, oh, But... Nice. But, yeah, but it just was really lovely to, to do my character. And then also to read, um, to read, to do Pat's voice, mm. uh, you know, that was a bit alarming. So I did, um, I read for the BBC, I did, um, what was it called? Because it was called, it's different, isn't it? It's the moon base, um, the actual moon base, but then it's um, now called Doctor Who and the Cybermen. And uh, so I had to read the target book, the story. Oh, right. And okay. I read all the characters and they're all men. Um, so that was, you know, and you don't have any rehearsals or anything. You're just given the script and told in two weeks' time you'll be at the studio. Holy shit, you know, so now, all right. Um, <clears throat> so I'm stopping around in my kitchen and I have to do all these male voices. Not only that, I have to do Jamie's voice, Ben's voice, and, and, um, and the doctor. So that was majorly hard work. But in the end, they do tell me I pulled it off. <laughs> I pulled it off. Yes. Uh, well, I, I've heard resistance. I haven't heard oh, the. Have I think it's the BBC audio yes. stuff, isn't it? Yes. Rather than big finish. Yeah, yes. I'll, I'll have. To, thing is, there's so much audio output these days. Then um, I, I could quite easily do nothing else other than sit there there and listen to these stories. It was one lovely moment. I had to work on it really <laughs> hard, and I had to call up Fraser and say, Fraser, can you remember how did you say? How did Jamie say moon? Was it moon or was it moon? Which which Scott? And he said, think of Doctor Finley. So, okay, because okay. Fraser's character says, are we going to meet the old man in the moon? And Ben says, you won't meet a dicky bird, mate, if you don't get a move on. <laughs> and it was so lovely. But it's very yeah. quick, and I had to check, you know, so that was hard work for me, but mm. I loved it. It, it sounds great, and I, I, I do thoroughly enjoy listening to actors taking off other actors. And yes. so far, I haven't, I haven't thought, oh, that didn't work. Once, oh, and I, I think it's good. amazing. I think it really is good. And then doing Pat's voice, of course, mm. Polly. And in the very end of that, there's actually a moment when I'm listening to it and I forgot it was me. I thought it was Pat. Oh, wow. And I think he came through, he said, move over, Annika. I can do it better than you. <laughs> I, I think it's been quite a... Um, emotive experience for a number of actors who have taken off uh, the doctors who they worked with and yes. you've heard several different versions of a similar story yes. I mean it must be quite difficult when you're considering well you know you worked with this person you d developed a relationship with this person uh, and now you're having to imagine words of a script come through, come through his them. mouth yeah. I tell you what I did was I just thought remember how much you loved him mm. and then you just mm. you did it out of love and so then that's, that, I think, was the magic key, actually. Because I really love Pat, and he had a beautiful voice. So, so what a gift to yeah. be able to read, as it were, in his voice. Lovely. So it wasn't like a take-off, you know. Mm. It was more a sort of, um, uh, what's the word? When you grow into a morphing. Mm. I morphed him. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Okay. So are we going to get to hear any more of those stories, do you yes, think? Yes, I'm doing Wonderful. more. Well, there's going to be another Polly story, mm -hmm. which... Um, I do believe is set in the Tudor times, right. so right up my street. <laughs> and um, I think there's more companion chronicles. But the only thing with Big Finish is, they've got a massive um, amount of work that's that they're doing. So mm. eventually they'll get round to it, and they're also going to do part two because part one of my autobiography has been done by the BBC. I did mm -hmm. audio, read the audio, um, abridged version, yeah. and Big Finish are going to do 
part two. So part part, part yes. one is called self portrait, mm -hmm. and part two is called naked. And they're going to do naked. Um, mm. I'm going to read that. It's been abridged. Let's talk about your books a little yes, bit let's more, certainly. Let's talk about the books. Okay. In 2007, you, you yes. released Self-Portraits, yes. or that, that's when it came out, and you've yes. just released Naked, the, um, well, last year that it was published, wasn't yes. it? Yes. How did it feel actually having to revisit certain periods of your life and go into intricate detail in some instances yes. in recounting those stories? Was that yes. particularly difficult? Well, starting off, I just thought, well, I would start off... And w one of the things is that I write in the present oh. so that I'm, I start and I am a child. So I write with a child's voice and so with a child's vision. Oh, so in a way, I, I've, I take myself back to that time. I think having also been, you know, um, a painter I've, in my life, I've been a painter, interior designer, and um, and um, so it's been very visual. My mm. creativity is also very visual. So I think that really helped me to go back because I can see myself as a child in these different situations. So I'm writing as a child. But then when I have to write about the heavy stuff, like my stepfather beat me up, mm. or I have to go back there. It, I have been back there before, later in therapy. I've been back there. So it isn't a place I haven't that I'm blocked off from at all. Mm. I can I can recall it minute by minute and be right back there. But of course that's that's painful. Yeah. And of course there's yeah. the rage, you know, that the child would be treated like this. But then you see my life was magic because not no sooner had that happened than I got the part in the film and I'm off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of there. You know. So so in a, so massively cathartic. Of course it is. It's very cathartic. Yeah. Um, but once again, like writing about my mother, writing about my brother, it love was always the the loving them was always the key that took me through to remember the stories. You mm. know, um, and then of course into my Rada days, and I'm just busily getting it on with as many lovely men as I can, you know. <laughs> Once again, love is the thing, okay. you know, to, to remember the love that you had for the person. Mm. Um, so that in a way, and then later on into the marriage, which then dissolves um, and becomes very full of more abuse and lack of trust and everything. Mm. Um, but, but in a way, I, I was able to write the two books um, and get to the end because... Um, in my own life, personally, I've managed to forgive everybody. So it's not a whinging autobiography, like, mm, and he was mean to me, and that was rotten, and I, none of that, no. So I just simply state the bald facts of how it was, and that's how it was, and that's how it impacted me, and this is how I grew out of it. So that, um, so that yeah, so I think that's mm. what makes them available to people where they feel very touched and and then and then there are the mad moments and then there are, you know then there's all the humor and all the ridiculousness yeah. that also goes on so that you don't get sort of feeling doomy and they go oh god this is so depressing no no because the next minute something else has happened and i've gone off on a bus to india or i've <sighs> gone off to california yeah. and i'm doing something else now altogether and mm -hmm. 
So I've had quite a life, you see. I have had quite a life, which is why it needed two books. I couldn't get it all done in one. No, no, <laughs> and if I had done it all in one, people, I think I would have um, had a lot of um, mortality rates. I think people would have just expired with exhaustion because I've seen a lot, it done a lot. It must be hard work because presumably yeah. it's not just a case of recounting the experiences and chronicling your life. It's trying to make certain that they all fit together. And we were yeah. speaking to Fraser Hines at Gallifrey and he was saying, I come up with all of these stories and they were always in his mind. And when his publisher went to make certain that when he referenced a certain date yeah. at a certain time, yeah. just to make sure everything fitted together, he said, I didn't yeah. have to change anything. I mean, how, how, was, how yeah. was that for you? I and mean, was it easy to date stamp certain events yes, in your mind? mostly, mostly. Mm. I mean, because in a way, I think that the idea of writing it has been cooking around in my mm. head for quite a while. And so I would lie in my bathtub out in my garden, because I've got a bathtub out in my garden, and I would, um, you know, be lying there tossing and turning, wait a minute, because, wait a minute, and then, that's right, but, you know, so that in a way I was always kind of thinking, I will one day write all this so that I don't forget it. Mm. Now, thank goodness I've written it, and I don't have to remember it anymore. <laughs> but it did help us. One of the amazing things was that we went into Wikipedia, wasn't it, um, mm. where, we, where it listed all the stuff I did, mm. Hell of a lot of work. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten all that. So now I'm trotting out to you. Of course, I was in the players of the week. I'd forgotten all that. <laughs> I'd forgotten. So luckily, that's all there, and that helps you because they've got the dates, and the you know the and the names of the things and the characters you played. So all that sort of came. Oh, that would be interesting because Wikipedia is notoriously wrong. For <laughs> well, things. I know certain things. <laughs> they're not joke. right. I know. No, but I could check mm. through, and it was right. So mm. yeah. Okay, let me ask you another practical question yeah. about the book, if I can. Yeah. I mean, how long did it actually take you to get the first draft done? You thought, okay. right, I'm going to write this book. How long was it till you saw the very first version of it? Okay, so what happened was I started on January the 1st, 2008, <laughs> and I lit a candle, and I wrote it all by hand and pencil. Because wow. for me, being a painter and a writer, a drawing, a draw, a, you know, um, artistic person, it has to come. It has to come through this part of the body. That's mm. the way the expression. It's like the paintbrush. So the pencil was my paintbrush. So I start writing, um, and I started at the beginning. That was easy, you know. Twenty of I was born, and we take it from there. And then, and but then, I'd opened the door, the magic door. So then, in the middle of the night, stories would come, and because my brother and my mother, they're all now in heaven, they would wake me up and say, "Don't forget to tell that story." But oh my God, I'd forgotten. Things came flooding through. So. What happened, I was lucky because um, apart from going off around the Doctor Who circuit and telling everybody I'm going to be writing the story with Tim, because mm. Tim Hurst, sitting here with us, was, was encouraging me all the way because he's my publisher. Um, um, and we were going around to Doctor Who conventions and saying, OK, I've started. And on, on the trains I'm writing, trains was a lovely place to, to be writing away, um, but but otherwise, I, I set aside my life. I wasn't watching telly, I wasn't listening to the radio, I wasn't reading newspapers. I am writing my story. Mm -hmm. So whatever I did, I'd go for a walk, I'd have my little notepad, and things were just pouring through me. It was wonderful. And by the end of the... Well, we... End of that, by September, we had our date because we were going to be launching it at Regenerations right, in the autumn. Yeah. So that was our 
date. And our cut-off period was in sort of August, wasn't it? So by then we had to have it all done. Then there was a nightmare period because I had all these notes and poor old Tim was getting a frightful muddle. And then he would come and sit on his computer and I would dictate right, and we would get it all right. on the computer. Okay. Um, we got better with the second one because we, we knew what we were doing. The first mm. one was a bit muddly and poor Tim was getting lost because I kept remembering things and going, oh, no, this is an insert. Annika, no more inserts. We can't <laughs> have any more inserts. We're getting lost. But finally we got it down and then there was all the business of getting the pictures and that mm. was exciting mm. and sourcing all the photographs and pictures um, and having to draw a lot because along the way, because I mean, the last 20, 30 years, I've kind of lived out of a suitcase. So I didn't, I didn't collect photographs. I hadn't kept photographs. And then also because of the whole family business, one of the members of the family had burnt all the photographs in a rage. There was a lot of photographs were destroyed. So oh. there weren't images of my early uh, family life. So we had to sort of find these from mm, where we mm. could. Um, but what we what we wanted in, in we were very clear, and this was Tim, and absolutely hats off to him because he, we were we were very clear that we weren't going to have one of those books where all the photographs are black and white and in the middle. So you're reading, and you have to keep flipping to see. Wait a minute, what does the mother look like? What does the brother look like? You know, who is the lover at this time? What do they look like? We wanted to have the pictures all the way through added to my drawings and my yes, sketches and all that. the little yeah. things that I could put in. Because um, I used to make, have these adventures going off. We went all over America and I would do journals. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to sort of be like a journal of my life also, so that the drawings from the time would be there. Mm -hmm. And luckily, um, people like... Peter Cook in the 60s was one of my very dear friends and his wife had kept a lot of my letters. So then we had drawings of my letters that could be put in, you know. So that was amazing. And other people were remembering, you know, like, you know, Pat Tratton used to go and our au pair girl said, do you remember that he used to come for supper a lot? I had forgotten that. <sighs> and um, so little things would be coming in. So we were gathering. Sure, know. sure. And then, um, and then, so the first book was done. And then we had to wait. We, we, we started selling them on the day and people were coming back the next day said, I, I was up all night, I read it and it's fantastic. And we started to get our feedback, Must be fantastic. which was amazing because yeah. then we knew we were on a, on a, on a roll and that it, it worked, that you know, the yeah. format of making it in the present worked. Um, so once again, we took, we took a little break. January the 1st of the next year, I started book two, and we had it again ready for the autumn. So Incredible. Yeah. Was that right? It was a bit longer. A bit longer. The second one was No, March, it was a bit longer. Because we took a bit of time out to tour. To, to tour yeah. around England. So yeah. I've been touring around England, bringing yeah. them to people. So, but now, I must just say, because this is the most amazing thing about it is that now it's like, Colin Baker saying it's the best thing he's ever read. Mm. Paul McGann, you know, mm. saying just wonderful. Co you know, Tom Baker saying very brave book, brave person. To get this feedback from my, I mean, I'm a Doctor Who fan. From you know, from my uh, peers, my you know, yeah. has been has been amazing, really wonderful, and it it's been a gift for me, and it's been something that I treasure very much, mm. um, and and also should say this but also because a lot of my life was very there were times when it was very insecure mm -hmm. um, very painful and very lonely 
to turn it into money, to hot <laughs> rolls of cash, is really deeply satisfying. She's going to stomp the table now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what next in terms of, of writing? Have you got any further plans to write any more books? Or um... No, I tell you what, I don't know if you're a writer, but... When you are a writer, you're in your head all the time. Hmm. And this is absolutely the antipathy to being a meditator when you want to get out of your mind. Right. So I'm going back to meditating. Thank okay. you very much. <laughs> I've told my story and that's it. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, big finish and, mm. um, and doing more audios and stuff, I love it. I love it. So I hope right. they're going to give me a lot more work doing that. And other than that, you see, I've got this... I live in a magic part of the world in Devon and I've got mm. a garden and I grow my own vegetables and I just love it. So I'm quite happy to be left alone growing my veggies. Thank you. Sounds wonderful. Yep. Yeah. The yeah. other thing is, is in a way, I'm, I, I don't want to be greedy. And I mean, I've had a good crack of the whip mm. for the last three or four years and been around and seen everybody. I don't want to make it so that they say, oh God, uncle, she's oh. always in our faces. So I might take a little break and come back when I'm... Mm. 80. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Annika... 75. <laughs> Only a few years. Annika, it's been wonderful speaking to you for yeah, the last half an hour welcome. or so. Thank you very much indeed for spending the time speaking to us and the very, very best for the future. Thank you very much. And can we go to the pub and get pissed now? That's... Why oh, not? good. <laughs> I don't think you need my permission for that. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed. Okay, well done. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was an amazing experience meeting Annika and just sitting in the same room as her, asking her these questions about her life, her career. And for me, Doctor Who was just amazing. Really, really fantastic experience. I hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, you'll be pleased to know in episode four of the Doctor Who podcast, Tom and Trev join me once again, this time to review The Beast Below, the second story in series five, as I think we are now all calling the new Matt Smith series. We're also going to go through the news. We haven't gone through the news at all since we formed the Doctor Who podcast. And as I'm sure you know, there's been loads of news items flying around the internet. So we'll go through the news and give you our thoughts on what's hot in the Doctor Who world. And that's pretty much it really for this episode. All that's left is for me to remind you, if you haven't done so already, go on over to our forums. They're becoming busier and busier as each week passes. You can go to thedoctorwhopodcast.com and click on the link to the forum. Very easy and very quick to sign up there. You can follow us on Twitter. That's twitter.com forward slash thedrwhopodcast. And there you get me and Trev, who both manage that account. So you can follow us and you can leave feedback for us using Twitter that way. And lastly, you can use our Facebook page, which you can reach by going onto our homepage and just clicking on the link to Facebook. That really is everything for this week. Catch up with you soon in episode four. Bye for now. That was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>